Welcome to episode 30 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll focus on how government shouldn't be the tornado in the trailer park. Let's follow this funnel cloud with our host, Tammy Fisher. But first, a very special thank you to our friend Debbie in Jefferson County. She sent us a very sweet letter. She supports our podcast, is a loyal listener. She is not of the same political bent that Tammy, you and I are. But we certainly appreciate hearing from her as she loves Montana as much as we do. And she just wants the best for our great state. And that's the kind of feedback we've been getting across the board. Those folks that live within Montana and outside of our borders, they all talk about how great Montana is and how we all want to move Montana forward. I heard from a person of our same political persuasion this last week who was very encouraged by the podcast, the discussion, and also the feedback that that she's hearing from other people from diverse political backgrounds across the state. So we're very grateful for the feedback. Keep sending it in, folks. We really appreciate it. It makes us better. It helps us formulate our podcast, the discussion points that are interesting to the greater Montana. We just can't tell you how grateful we are for your support. So today we're going to talk about the assault on affordable housing and why state government needs to keep its nose out of the housing business. Because some of the legislative proposals affecting landlords, they are being brought by legislators that refer to themselves as Republican. So I think it's important that we have a little refresher again on the Republican platform and how it addresses private property and housing issues. Quote, we believe political freedom and economic freedom are indivisible. When political freedom and economic freedom are separated, both are in peril. When united, they are invincible. Many sections of this platform affirm our trust in the people, our faith in their judgment, and our determination to help them take back their country. This means relieving the burden and expense of punishing government regulations. And this means returning to the people the control that belongs to them. It is the control and power to make their own decisions about what's best for themselves and their families and communities. Government cannot create prosperity, though government can limit or destroy it. Strong growth, more jobs, increasing incomes, and expanding opportunity are all in short supply. We repudiate the absurd idea that this is the best America can do. Quote, the American dream, unquote, is not a stale slogan. It means a decent place to live, a safe place to raise kids, a welcoming place to retire. It bespeaks the quiet pride of those who work hard to shelter their family and in the process create caring neighborhoods. We believe that sound public policies can add vigor to the housing market. Zoning decisions have always been and must remain under local control. We are against socially engineering every community. The framers of our government knew, from history and experience, that when private property is not secure, freedom is at risk. Sensible regulations can be compatible with a vibrant economy. They can prevent the strong from exploiting the weak. Right now, the regulators are exploiting everyone. We are determined to make regulations minimally intrusive, confined to their legal mandate, and respectful toward the creation of new and small businesses. Republicans propose to evaluate a poverty program by whether it actually reduces poverty and increases the personal independence of its participants. We call for removal of structural impediments, which progressives throw in the path of poor people, end quote. 
Manufactured housing, often known as mobile homes or trailers, is the largest sector of non-subsidized. It is unsubsidized, no government subsidy affordable housing in the United States, home to 22 million Americans with a median annual income of less than $30,000. So we're talking about the working poor. In Montana, mobile homes account for about 10% of all housing. The trend in the manufacturing housing sector, particularly in mobile home parks, is changing dramatically. Historically, mom-and-pop businesses have owned most mobile home parks. Sometimes the sites were well-maintained, sometimes they weren't, but rents tended to remain affordable. As an aging generation of mom-and-pop park owners cashes out, a new breed of investors bent on raising rents to increase returns has bought up a growing share of the market. Many investors are indeed eager to buy. As one investor in an article says, quote, It's very, very common that we find mobile home parks that have been owned by mom and pops. Maybe they've owned them for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and sometimes even longer than that to where rents have not been matched to the marketplace. We just bought a property recently where the rents had not been raised for 16 years. This is a very common scenario. This means that there's a lot of value-add opportunity for you when you're buying a mobile home park from a mom and pop, end quote. But investors never used to be interested in mobile home parks. I remember when I bought my first mobile home park, I bought it from a woman who, just like me, was a single mom who bought the park as an investment and because it was a property she could manage herself. She didn't have a pension, so the property provided a modest and consistent form of income for her. And she owned that park for over 30 years. And when she wanted to retire and it came time for her to sell, unfortunately, because of her age and ability to maintain it, most of the park improvements were run down and the park was just generally mismanaged. But she was pleased to be selling to another single mom, me, that just wanted an investment she could manage successfully. And everyone I know thought I was nuts to buy a trailer park. But for me, I just don't trust the stock market much. I don't know enough about it, and I'm just kind of uncomfortable of just sending my money somewhere that I can't touch it. I like land because I can see it, I can touch it, and I can, to some extent, control it. I learned about the landlording business from my grandparents. My grandparents lived in a modest home my grandfather built in 1952 with lumber from old railroad cars that he scavenged when he worked for the Great Northern Railroad. My grandparents were dyed-in-the-wool blue dog Democrats. Both of them were union folks. My grandfather worked the night shift at the sewage treatment plant in Great Falls, where he retired from, and my grandmother was the switchboard operator for the Great Falls Police Department for many years. And my grandparents always had a rental on their property that supplemented their Social Security income and pensions. So I watched my grandparents. I watched how they treated their tenants over the years, and I learned from them the basics of how to manage rental property. Keep rents under market so good tenants will stay a long time. Maintain the property. Keep it as safe as you can. Thank your good tenants and let them know you appreciate them. This was their model, and I adopted it as my own, and it works. And I've expanded, very fortunately, with some really great partners into about 100 rental units. I don't have very many bad renters. Probably 95% of my tenants are just awesome. They follow the rules. They pay on time. 
and they see me and my family working to improve the properties all of the time. As I said, no one wanted in on the landlord business and especially not the mobile home park business when I started. Us mobile home park owners were looked down upon by the stock market brokers and highfalutin investment bakers. Most professionals that learned I was in the mobile home park business visibly cringed when I told them. Banks wouldn't even lend on mobile home parks, so we had to buy our property with seller financing. I actually preferred this because we established long-term financial relationships with sellers. Sellers had to trust us, and that meant something. And that was just 12 short years ago, and it was great. So what changed? Wall Street and investment companies didn't take notice of mobile home parks until cities and counties started zoning mobile home parks out of existence. Cities literally wrote mobile home parks out of their regulations. Can't be developed, can't be expanded, because city councils and county commissioners found them unseemly. Hmm. Because they don't want to look at poor people, frankly, and they don't want to see a 1976 single-wide trailer near McMansions. Because single-wide trailers don't fit in with the neighborhood landscape that city councils prefer. Look at Kalispell, Missoula, Bozeman. Check their zoning regulations. Look for the term manufactured home park. Don't see it? Yep, that's what we're talking about. Or when you do see it, next to the term is the requirements to build the manufactured home park with the same infrastructure, curb, gutters, paved streets, and sidewalks that stick-built housing developments are required to have. And that prices would be mobile home park developers out of the market because you can't charge enough for the lots to get a return on a multi-million dollar investment. The lot rent would be more than the mobile home payments. So the zoning regs have effectively removed new mobile home parks from existence. The only unsubsidized low-income housing in existence has been zoned off of the face of Montana. So only pre-existing mobile home parks are allowed. Parks that were developed prior to the city and county government zoning them out of existence. So what did these actions by city and county government do to mobile home park values? Artificially increase them. Dramatically. So when Wall Street found out that mobile home parks were now a hot commodity because city and county governments basically made the existing mobile home parks a monopoly, all of us hillbilly mobile home park owners became inundated with solicitations from investment groups to buy our properties. I literally get a solicitation once a month, at least once a month, sometimes three times a month. Mobile home parks have a captive cash generator. That captive cash generator are the tenants who are largely on fixed incomes and who can't afford the cost to move their homes elsewhere. And even if they can, where are they going to move their house to? Because city and county government won't allow more mobile home lots so the exist and the existing lots are plumb full. And the lots are full because there's no other affordable housing available. So the city and county governments have done more harm to low-income housing than any landlord possibly could. They created a scenario where folks in unsubsidized, no government subsidy, affordable housing, now have to seek subsidized housing because they lose their mobile homes. How do they lose their mobile homes? Investment groups buy up these mobile home parks, jack up the rent and utilities, and their fixed income tenants then have to abandon their mobile homes, the only home they have ever owned outright. 
because they can't afford the lot rent. Don't you love that? All of this, all of it, inspired by city and county governments that prefer high-rises to trailer parks. Now they're heard to wail about the lack of affordable housing. They caused the problem, and now they want state government to fix the problem they caused. You can't really make this stuff up. But now, state government is being asked to fix a problem the free market can actually take care of. So government intervention creates a lack of affordable housing and then ask government intervention to fix the lack of affordable housing problem. Does that even make sense? It's absolutely ludicrous. So let's look at what currently happens. Investment companies like this place called Rest Haven come to the market, let's say Kalispell, and tell a mobile home park owner, hey, we'll pay you 25% more than market value for your park. And do they get takers? Yep mostly from dead or dying owners that are ready to get out of the landlord business. And does that squeeze out the rest of us landlords who are willing to pay market value but can't pay over market because that actually harms the tenants? Yeah, it does. And those are the breaks when government decides to mess with the housing market. So Rest Haven views mobile home parks as cash cows. They pay over market pricing, astonishingly high pricing, knowing they have to make up for the over market pricing by jacking up rents and utilities. But hey, they get their dollars back because do you think Rest Haven is making the loan payments? Hell no. The tenants are. So they jack up the prices on the tenants. The tenants abandon their mobile homes. The tenants are homeless. The tenants then seek government assistance. And then the government subsidizes their housing in perpetuity. It's horrible. It's wrong. And it's brought to you by local government. So how does this affect us mom and pop owners? Well, the value of our parks increase for sure. That's all well and good, unless you don't want to sell. And I, for one, am a hoarder. (laughs) I have no interest in selling, not even for more than market value. And I just morally can't stand what these companies do to tenants. It's unconscionable. So because I don't want to sell, the value goes up. And who likes to look at the value of my property? Well, that's right. The tax man. Yep government. The government then jacks up my property taxes because they have artificially increased the value of my property. Great. So now I have to increase the rents to pay for the government's increased property taxes on my property. You see how government has screwed this all up? So Rest Haven starts gobbling up mobile home parks. Tenants get stressed. Government takes interest in low-income housing. NeighborWorks, a quote, Congressionally chartered and funded nonpartisan nonprofit is formed. Their job is to help provide communities with affordable housing. They were established by government. So NeighborWorks has this program where it goes to tenants in a mobile home park and says, Hey, if y'all want to buy out the owner, we will help you and you will own your own mobile home park with the other tenants. So the resident mobile home owners form a corporation to own and operate the mobile home park. The corporation is democratically managed with one vote per household, and the day-to-day operations are overseen by a member-elected board of directors. There are now eight of these resident-owned communities in Montana and over 200 nationally. And that sounds good, right? It is. 
it's basically a homeowners association made up of the tenants that owns the land the trailers sit on. Their lot rent just turns into homeowners association dues. So yes, they still pay lot rent. And this program can be the answer to Rest Haven for owners like me who, if I ever actually choose to sell, would prefer to sell to tenants versus Rest Haven. But now NeighborWorks is seeking to gain ground by operation of law, by embedding their program into Montana law and forcing a first right of refusal on park owners. That's right. They want to make it so that if Rest Haven comes to me, offers to buy me out, I can't take the deal. I have to, by operation of law, offer the park to the tenants first. And that's no solution. That's just more government overreach. And that is about as anti-Republican as you can get. You don't give one entity the force of law to upend the free market just because it feels good. And frankly, as someone who would be impacted by NeighborWorks butting its head into my business, it makes me hopping mad. I run my business just fine, thank you. I follow the law. I'm not kicking out old people and good tenants. In fact, what is embedded in this proposed legislation is this crazy theory that trailer park owners want to get rid of good tenants. And that's just horseshit. I want old people on a fixed income in my parks. They pay their rent. They appreciate when we work on the parks. They keep their lots tidy and they have strong pride of ownership in their homes. I want good tenants to stay forever. My whole business model relies on consistency. And I like good people and the elders in our community. I don't like heroin dealers that take up residence in my parks. I don't like tenants who are menaces to other tenants. I don't like tenants who don't pay their rent. I don't like racist tenants who scream racist epithets to my Native American tenants. So those are tenants I want to get rid of. Those are tenants that under the proposals by NeighborWorks, I have to keep. We can't express in less than 20 minutes how horrible the proposed legislation is. So we will just highlight some of the issues. And the legislation is not yet in bill format, but is LC 1061, 1061 and 1062. Let's look at some of the content of these proposals. Increase leases from month to month to two years. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't it? It Give stability to tenants that, that, that don't have it. Yeah, that's not true. Because landlords want long-term stable tenants. This is the problem with arbitrarily, by operation of law, increasing the lease term. If I got a tenant and every time my Native American tenant walks by, he utters a racial slur, and this has happened in one of my parks. Under this legislation, I have to wait two years to get rid of him. There's no law against racial slurs. There's no law against being a racist. I can't, by law, evict someone for being a racist. So I have to keep on renting to this jerk, knowing he hates other tenants because of their race, and post things on his windows and on Facebook about the Native Americans living next door. No thanks. It's my private property, and I don't want racists. Currently, I can just not renew the lease, which forces racists to move on. But I can't evict them under this proposal. Then, with the proposed forced two-year lease term, I will be forced by operation of law to renew the lease on the same terms as the original lease unless I essentially have good cause via rule violations to terminate the lease. But you know what's not good cause? Racism. 
But do I want racists, racists in my parks? Hell no. I want them out and I want them out quick. But if LC 1060 is passed, I can't give anyone the boot who is a jerk. I just have to tolerate it. And what about the tenant that doesn't like my gay property manager? And this is also a true story. My property manager, who is gay, happens to be one of my best friends. When he treats her poorly, when he says things that are just mean under this new law, I can't evict him. He gets to stay and be unkind to my gay property manager because being a homophobe isn't against the law. But I don't want homophobes in my parks because I want peace. And everyone to leave each other alone or be friends. This stupid bill would also force me to give six months notice of rental increases. And I can only modify a rental agreement on mutual agreement with the tenant. And that (laughs) is horseshit. If you are starting a campfire between two trailers and it's six feet tall, which could burn down the entire trailer park, I want to modify the rule to say two feet tall. Well, if you're a jerk, you're not going to agree to the modification and you will have your six foot fire six feet from the next mobile home owned by my 80 year old grandma and there won't be a darn thing I could do about it. Rent increases can only be 3%. Oh, that sounds nice, doesn't it? Well, 3% sure adds up over time. It compounds. And if the government is telling me how much I can raise my rent and when, then I'm going to raise it every time I can for the max amount. Versus how I do it now, where this year, some of my parks won't get an increase because I personally don't think it's warranted, even if the market says otherwise. So how does a mandated rental increase that is time-specific help poor people? It doesn't. Because these mandates force landlords to act. If you restrict me, I will be sure to increase every time the government says I can and in the maximum amount that I'm allowed. Versus just raising the rents here and there when I personally believe the financials or market justify it. We can't even talk about how horrible the rest of this bill is. It is the epitome of government overreach. And again, it forces me, if I go to sell my park to, once I have a buy-sell with a buyer, to offer the park to the tenants. Well, if the tenants want to buy my park, they can come and propose that to me anytime. Why do I need a forced by operation of law first right of refusal? So I'm restricted in who I can sell to, and I have to give that first right of refusal to my tenants, even though in some cases, through NeighborWorks' own reporting, it took tenants four and a half years to close on a sale. Who the hell has four and a half years to wait for a sale to close? Every one of these provisions is intended to squeeze out mobile home park owners, even the good ones. So one bad apple causes a government overreaction. And you know how I will respond if government adds these restrictions to mobile home parks, but not to apartment buildings and stick-built housing? Well, I'll just redevelop my properties into apartment complexes because then I can rent my properties consistent with fair Montana law versus these overreach proposals that only apply to mobile home parks. When government regulates, those who are regulated react, and we will pivot to investing in properties where we as landlords are treated fairly and not like the redheaded stepchildren of landlording. And the sad thing, the really, really bad thing about this whole deal, owners have the wherewithal to pivot, but the tenants don't. So who is the loser if these proposals pass? That's right, the tenants. The answer to the mobile home park dilemma 
is to increase competition. Open up the zoning regulations in the cities and counties. Add mobile home parks to the market. Make it easier to build them, easier for people to find new lots. Or even better, open up the zoning regulations so that mobile homes are allowed in residential zones. Then mobile home owners can find and afford their own lot to place a mobile home on and don't have to pay lot rent in perpetuity. The answer is to fix the problem, which is a government-created monopoly on mobile home parks. Rescind the monopoly. Remove the restrictions. Don't add restrictions on the landlords that didn't have anything to do with creating the monopoly anyway. I didn't cause the zoning regs to eliminate mobile homes. Why the hell should I be punished? Go back to the cities and county government and get mobile homes and mobile home parks back on the books. No one will be interested in Montana mobile home parks if we have competition in the market. I promise. We will go back to people thumbing their noses at me because I work with low-income folks. And low-income folks can continue on living their lives without threat of a monolith, jacking up their rent so high they can't afford it any longer. That's the solution neighbor work should be working on. They should be lobbying local government to open up zoning regs. If our legislature doesn't stop pushing soundbite legislation that purports to provide quick fixes to complex issues, we are screwed as a state. The easy stuff of legislating was done in 1889. All of our issues are far more complex now and require critical thinking and a desire to fix the root cause of the problem, not put lipstick on a pig. If you want to fix the affordable housing problem, start at the local government level because they screwed it up to begin with. State government doesn't need to do anything except provide assistance, not overreach, to all local government. State government sure as hell doesn't need to meddle in my business. Stop social engineering Montana. Stick to the Republican platform and evaluate affordable housing legislative proposals as the platform directs by whether it actually reduces poverty and increases the personal independence of the poor. Help us lobby local government to remove structural impediments which progressive, which progressives throw in the path of poor people by removing zoning regulations that keep the poor impoverished and cause the poor to rely on government subsidies for housing instead of relying upon unsubsidized affordable housing by way of mobile home ownership. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Become a sponsor of the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Subscribe to the show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Parlor. Our handle is at MTValues. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is Montana Values Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.